Welcome back, everyone, to R2Cast number 123. Uh, in the last few weeks, we've had some, some great episodes, some, some internationally spoken episodes. Uh, we had one all-in episode with Duncan. I can't for the life of me remember Duncan's surname. That's terrible, but Duncan is. Uh, it was an all-in episode, so it shouldn't be to do with food and farming, but it did turn out that his, his family owns a small 110,000 acres. Yep, you did hear that right, 110,000 acres. So that's bigger than the island I'm from, bigger than the county today's guest on is from. It's just a, it's an insane amount. But we weren't there to speak about that. We were there to speak about his deployment in Iraq uh, and moving into the police in Australia. So a really sort of, Probably a thing we're all aware of, but have actually no information on what's involved. So that was really, really cool to, to speak about. Um, we also have some you may have heard of, uh, we've obviously all heard of, unfortunately, on staying on the war route, if you will, um, what's happening in Ukraine. Uh, and and a, a farmer and some other people from Scotland and, and England, but based in Scotland, have started up a charity called Pickups for Peace. And their intention was to transport 100, 100 pickups to Ukraine. Uh, and they're now at something like 160. And I have now signed up as a driver. So the next time they're going, if I can fit in, I will be taking some a pickup to Ukraine to, to assist the troops in the front line out there. Um, so a really, really interesting one that obviously touched me to the point I wanted to actively get involved. And I've now I'm starting to put the wheels in motion, which you'll hear in the podcast if you want to listen to it, um, to sort of have them as my affiliated charity, if possible, as the podcast. <clears throat> so, yeah, really good episode there and a, and a few others coming out as well. But I think those two are the ones we've got to mention. Uh, in the next few days, we'll be seeing some pretty fancy folks on as well. I mean, I am obviously an agricultural podcaster, uh, joint most prolific in the country, from what I understand. Benji Eagle, I'm looking at taking an extra two episodes a month I might overtake, uh, if you're listening. That's a good fun for you at competition. Um, but the person who started it all and, and really sort of kicked it all off and <clears throat> really is sort of one of the main ag communicators in, in the country is, funnily enough, our guest today and I were speaking about this off camera, is, is uh, Will Penry Evans, who you'll probably follow on Instagram or or mainly Twitter, really, uh, with with uh, uh, who kicked off podcasting, or maybe not kicked it off, but was certainly one of, one of the pioneers. So another good episode there. Really good one coming today. <clears throat> we'll be talking about um, mental health. We'll be talking about farming in general. We'll be talking about Instagram. So there's a lot, a lot to cover today. We did try and film this last week, uh, but the audio wasn't quite there. But um, I think it'll be perfect today. So quite looking forward to that. Uh, I'm going to, just before I introduce them, apologise about one thing. You might listen to my voice and think that sounds a wee bit croaky wall as well. I know I do have quite a low voice, <clears throat> but I have um, just had a great time down in Wales at Wentwood Young Farmers. We did a lot. We did a... a we did uh what do you call it? You call it an exchange. So Lauren Estio, my local club, of which I'm on the committee here in Dumfries, went down, nine of us, uh, and spent spent two and a half days with them. Fantastic time, spent a lot of time with the whole district of their young farmers, six clubs. Um, yeah, a, a couple of drinks was had by a few of us. Um, canoeing happened, but I managed to concuss myself on a ceiling, so that never happened. Not drink involved, I was just sitting up for my dinner, genuinely. Um and uh, yeah, a lot of good fun, some some really good friends made and, and hopefully I'll be coming back up soon. So I want to quickly shout out, because I've got a feeling she might be listening to this, uh, I want to shout out Jane and John, uh, who were Jane and John Lewis, who were very hospitable, um, as well as Neris, Keris and the rest of the team uh, for one of the biggest spreads of food I have ever seen in my entire life. It is rare that I am beat, but I was. So thank you very much to them and uh, looking forward to having you up. But today's guest... <clears throat> As uh, as some of you will know, as some of you will know him, as the honest farmer, uh, real name Matt Styles, and I'll introduce you to him now. So Matt, do you want to say hello? Hi, hello. Looking good forward evening. to it. Yeah, good evening. Good evening. Looking forward to it. 
Yeah, 100%. I think this is going to be an interesting chat. I'm looking yeah. forward to it. Absolutely, mate. Absolutely. Just before we get started with another episode of the R2Cast, I would like to thank our primary sponsors, A-Plan Rural. A-Plan Rural are heavily involved on the social media scene in the ag space with 120,000 followers on Instagram. They use this following to host social media takeovers with farmers throughout the country to showcase their stories. They also post to their rural community blog with further stories about these people in the industry. On top of this, they like to support initiatives that are championing the British agricultural industry, such as myself. So thank you to Aplan Rural for that. We've actually been speaking off camera already and, and it was one of those ones I was like, shit, we should probably hit record. I think we came on the call just before six. It's currently 22 minutes past and in fairness, that introduction of mine's probably taken about 18 minutes. But uh, yeah, we were chatting for a fair bit and I was starting to think, I was like, Christ, better hit record or we're going miss, gonna to miss some good chat here. So uh, just just give the, the listeners, Matt, a bit, a bit of background about, about yourself. What's your sort of background, you know, from as a youngster, were you on a farm? Was farming what you were interested in what's your sort of what's your sort of story to that to that time yeah okay so if we go way back to the beginning let's do it right in the beginning yeah way back to the beginning my earliest memories are probably riding on a class dominator something or other can't remember the model number um on a makeshift i think it was like a little it was like a kid's deck chair or something that i had in the footwell of the class dominator with my dad uh, probably three or four years old um, because I'm guessing my mother probably wanted a break from, <laughs> from me. So went, right, you take him. Um, and uh, the, there's a picture of me in the fo- family photo album, fast asleep on the floor of a combine harvester cab. Um, and I, I think that was a general theme, uh, probably is for most farm kids, that you put them in a piece of farm machinery and they fall asleep. Because once you go up and down a field once or twice when you're about four years old, it becomes very boring and <laughs> the hum of a machine is enough to send you fast asleep. So, um, yeah, you I have. Are you going to pretend now? Are you going to pretend that now in your 20s that's not still the case that the up and down doesn't get a bit boring? <laughs> oh, no, 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 100% is worse now, even. <laughs> Because you can't sleep. You can't just be like, you know what? <laughs> oh, no, no. And with, G- with GPS technology, it's even worse now because you've got nothing to concentrate on all day. Your tractor drives itself. You just, you know. If you're on a long field, you can generally fit in a nap. It's quite nice to be fair. <laughs> you know, it's, it's you know, like take 15 minutes to get from one end of the field to the other and the tractor's driving itself. It'll be like, oh, I'll, just, I'll just shut my eyes for 10 minutes. I hear it is true. It is true. Um, as that three-year-old, it's quite funny. You're a, if you go into Matt's Instagram, you'll see <clears throat> the Yellow Wellies ambassador. And for those that don't know who that is, Farm Safety Foundation. If I had my house keys, I think they're actually up on their key ring where they're supposed to be at the minute. I have a wee pair of Yellow Wellies on there, but mm. um, <laughs> they'll be love listening to that. You sitting in your deck chair and the class dominator. <laughs> oh um, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Was was when you were sitting there, Matt, obviously three year old, you're not planning your future, but um, you know, as a kid, was was it did you think, right, I'm gonna be doing something like this when I'm older? <clears throat> um I think I think the seeds were set to a degree Pardon that me. farming might be on the horizon as a career path. I mean, I I I remember just being so keen to help out wherever I could. I mean, to the, to the point where, uh, you know, be like, I just want to go and sweep up a barn or 
like go and rake up the stones in the yard or something like that, you know, fill in potholes on the track or whatever it was. I was just dead keen just to do anything that I could to help out. And like the moment I got given the keys to a piece of machinery. Now, before I say piece of machinery being a farm safety ambassador, I do mean the ride on lawnmower. <laughs> as a nine-year-old, the ride on lawnmower, my God, that was, I was like king. I got the ride on lawnmower, and, like the keys to that, to go and cut the lawns, you know. And <laughs> that yeah, was I, my job, you know. <laughs> no one else was allowed to drive it then. It was my job. I drove my first ride on lawnmower. Now, this is as someone who has not, operated but has actually driven a 9620 rx john deere like yes at seven at 19 like i wasn't operating i was just had a shot on it and the farmer was working at but the day sorry that's my phone i thought it was in silent the day i was um given the the chance to drive a ride on lawnmower at 23 i was so excited <laughs> like they're great fun so at nine man gee, that's a that's like the start of life that we all dream of <laughs> oh yeah 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 so um you know it was with um always with parental supervision um and um i have to say that safety was drummed into us as kids you know, it was, you don't put your hands here, don't put your feet here, you know, keep your feet on the pedals, like, you know, keep your hands on the steering, don't put your hands near the belts that are turning around on the deck type thing. And, you know, if you're going to get off, like turn the key off and that that kind of stuff, it was drummed into us to be safe. Um, and, you know, uh, we we're sort of the layout of my parents' farm is the house is set away a bit from the farmyard. Okay. So there's probably like, I could be, probably take a couple of minutes to walk up there, um, up the up the drive to it. So, um, you know, if we were ever going to go up to the farm, uh, we were always told, um, well, we, we always said we're going up to the farm. Uh, we'd always have to let someone, let like mother know that we were going up to the farm and go up and see dad. And um, the rule always was until they've um, acknowledged that they've seen you, don't approach you know, any piece of machine, if, you know, if they're in a piece of machinery, you stand well back, you know, to the edge of the yard somewhere until they acknowledge you, you know, until your dad looks at you and goes, uh, I've seen you, and then you can approach them, you know, because it's, it's so tragic when you hear about, like, a father ran over his son or something, the teleporter, and you're like, Jesus Christ, like, how the hell could you live with yourself? There's, you know, I mean, that's in that situation. And so, yeah, I, I remember from the earliest days that it was drummed into us that, like, if there was a piece of machinery driving around the yard, do not approach it at any, you know, at any point until they've seen you, you know, and yeah. you stay in a safe and you stay in a safe place. Like, and so, yeah, we, uh, in the grand scheme of things, accidents were just null and void. Like, we just didn't have farm accidents even though you're talking of i grew up in yeah. the late the late 90s and the early 2000s when farm safety wasn't really anywhere near a big of a talking point or even as you know as put this sort of um i don't want to say popular as it is now but it's it's much more accepted now i think than it was 20 years ago i, th I think it is but i think we're still in a spot where numbers are embarrassingly high um, oh yeah yeah, yeah. We've, we're still only like half what it was 20 years ago. Yeah. And you're talking of like, it should be more than half what it was in 20 yeah. years. Yeah. No, I, I was the same. I mean, my, I probably thought as a kid that my parents were like boring or like hyper focused and whatever and all this sort of thing. But looking back, it's just, it makes sense. And I'm glad it was that way. You know, I've now got quite an obvious. Yeah. 
respect, I think, is the word for, for machinery and livestock and whatnot. And, and one, one story that I use <clears throat> in lecturing, you know, we, we take a health and safety, it's not a module, but it's part of, of, of it. And we talk about health and safety for obvious reasons. And there's one story that I sort of bring the students in, normally quite new. It's one of the first things we touch on. And and we have a chat, you know, young ag students, they want to tell the worst story and whatever. And and the truth is, I let them do it. I think some folk think that's wrong. But the reason I do it is I let them say these stories and then everyone else hears these things and they're like, shit. So if you've heard how something's happened, you then begin to think, right, OK, that's a way to avoid it. But one that I always put up and I don't think I know the farmer's name because I don't think it's said in the video. It probably is somewhere. I just know his son's name is Sam or, or was Sam. Um he talks about a story he's obviously got a, a a feed passage that doesn't have enough space at the end of the shed to come out so he goes up and reverses down pretty common obviously uh, and he just he just see him talk about this story i'd went up i was reversing down i felt this bump just thought i had like moved on to a bit of silage and moved forward a bit of ration whatever didn't think move forward to then make sure he was straight again kept going went over the bump and it was only until he was fully back over that he'd realized what had happened and like seeing this and it was his son sam seeing this guy who is insanely strong to be able to tell that story and um, just how much that one ruins his life ruins his partner's life and she's obviously so supportive of him <clears throat> but also you know loses a life uh, is just painful and i think we need to sort of take these these farm safety things more seriously because we talk about farm safety and stuff but there's still folk that aren't fully fully on board but there's there's um yeah it's, it's we're, we're going in the right direction we're going in the right direction which is good uh, which which we like to like to see uh, we will get into to farm safety and also you, you're quite a big advocate of speaking about mental health as well we'll get into that a wee bit but just before we do uh, matt could you tell us a bit about the farm is the farm you're at now the same farm you were brought up on <clears throat> ah no so let's let's go back to the story shall we yeah, um, so we was so we'll fast forward through young childhood we then get to the teenage years ever so slightly rebellious uh in uh, in the sense that i took a complete detour away from farming didn't want anything really to do with it um and uh, i very much got into sort of music and drama um and because uh, i play guitar um and i was in a band um, I was doing local Amdram. I was part of a drama club. Uh, it was like fully on like local stage shows. I did a festival, my local festival. I performed that with my band. Like yeah, so I was, I was fully into that. Um, and then I actually took it on. I took drama on at college once I left school, um, and did about a year of it, and then thought actually. Uh, it was it was when I was in it was a nice summer's day, and I was in a dark theatre studio rehearsing a play. And I thought, actually, I'd rather be outside in the sunshine than in this dark room. All day. you know, that just kind of being stuck inside all the day, every day, just it wasn't me. I was just not happy doing it. And I thought, what am I doing with my life? Here? So I had a complete U turn. Spent that summer working for a neighbouring arable farmer before I then switched and went to agricultural college. And I did a year at agricultural college, realised that actually college wasn't really for me um, because I never really had done particularly well at school or got on well at school. I was bullied quite badly at school. Um, I never really fit in at school. 
So yeah, school for me was pretty horrendous. I hated most of it. Um, so I don't know why I thought college was going to be that different. I thought it would be different because I was doing something that I enjoyed, um, but there was still the element of sort of clicky groups and um, even an element of bullying even at college um, because I was still different. Even though I was a farmer's son and I was with a load of farmers, I still felt like I didn't fit in at all. Why did you feel? Um, sorry to cut you off, but why? Why? What did you feel? Why did you feel that way? Um, I think. I think because I was slightly more mature than a lot of the, the the lads that were there, you know, they were sort of just into, you know, who could shack up with who and shag who, who could drink most and playing pranks on each other all the time. And I thought, I'm here to try and develop a career for myself. I'm not here just to piss about. For the, you know what I mean? Like, and, and that kind of culture of just larking about all the time was never really me. And I think for that reason, I just I just didn't really fit the the click um, of the pissy about type brigade, um, you know, that go out drinking till two in the morning and then be hung over on college lectures and the next morning. But like, but I was going because I didn't stay at the college. I was commuting back and forth from home. Um, I never really got into that kind of drinking and partying scene and whatever because I was always going home and you know I'd get a full night's rest and be up there in the morning bright and fresh and everyone else would be hung over so there was always kind of a bit of a disconnect really yeah absolutely absolutely yeah yeah um and um so yeah and uh, uh, so yeah so that, and then um kind of yeah left left agricultural college that summer i had a summer job lined up again uh for an agricultural contractor spring muck I did that, basically worked my bollocks off for him for an entire summer, as you do when you're 18. Um, and at that point, I'd met Floss, which is my now wife. Um, and we decided that um, our future was going to be us together. We kind of made that decision. And so the next step, really, whilst we were still living in each other's parents' houses, was to try and get somewhere where we could live together. That's what we wanted. We yeah. just wanted to be together and mm-hmm. live together, um, which is a bold move considering I was only just turning 19 and she was 21. Oh, wow. <laughs> right. Okay, yeah, yeah. Big changes. So very, very young to suddenly <laughs> branch out into the world and start living on your own. Um, but, uh, but we did it and she pushed me to do it um, because she, with a previous boyfriend, I think she'd already lived partly on her own in an apartment somewhere um and i was looking around and i realized that the easiest way to do it would be to get like a tied house with a farm job because they're they're still quite a common thing um and so yeah off we went so from two failed college attempts a pretty horrendous school career and a couple of summer jobs i basically went off into the world two and a half hours from home um because i grew up in suffolk and we went down to oxfordshire um and stayed in uh, got to live in this lovely little uh, semi-detached cottage in a rural setting near a little village in rural oxfordshire and worked for a pretty big farm um for a little while and then basically my career then was a succession of I don't want to call them failures, learning experiences, I suppose, really, um, sort of job hopping from one job to the next job um, till I was about 25, 24, 25, 
Um, and then we ended up moving to where we are now in Cambridgeshire. And we've been here for, for four, uh, four and a half years now. Um, but it was at that point uh, when we moved here. Re- well, it's been a progression to us having, being, uh, I don't know, I wouldn't say I'm an entrepreneur, but I'm very much business minded now, wanting to run my own business, do my own thing yeah. um, and be my own independent thing away from a job or any any tie basically um but it's but it's been a progression to get to this point i mean we we literally started off with we found a bit of ground to rent we had an idea in our head that we kind of fancied getting some sheep a friend of ours was selling up her flock because she took on a farm manager's position she'd been running about 100 and something of her own news and doing all manner of different stuff pig bed and breakfasts and self-employed farm work on an arable farm and she was basically working all the hours under the sun and kind of this amazing opportunity came up in western scotland on the island of ling um Brilliant. And yeah with, with uh, uh who are they the cadzo brothers cadzos but just out of interest when was that i would just like to quickly interrupt the show for a minute to give you some extra information on our primary sponsors a plan rural a plan offer bespoke cover for farms and estates the uk over and we'll give you tailored insurance for anything on the farm from your old workhorse tractor that's been around 20 years or a fancy new and exciting diversification? Uh, 2019 or 20, I think. Uh, no, it might have been 2020, I think. I'm pretty sure we moved them up there in lockdown year. I'm sure what's it's 2020. What's her name? Uh, Joe Fuster and Chris. Yeah, yeah but she worked with my best mate at uni. <laughs> oh, that's- really? But just for those listening off camera before Matt and I hit record, we were talking about this world's so weird. You always meet someone you know. Yeah. <laughs> Here yeah. we are. Here we are. That's so surreal. Rudy, if you're listening, man, I'm sure you know Joe well. Um, yeah, sorry to cut you off there, but when you said a Western island, as someone from a Western island in Scotland. Like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. I can't not ask. I don't know them. I've never been to Ling, but the, the Cadsos are quite famous, obviously, for, for creating yeah. Sorry to interrupt you there, Matt. I just feel like... No, 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 no. Funnily enough, um, yeah, Joe used to be um, down here in um, in East Anglia, um, which is how we both got to know her and Floss, I'd say, was probably more friendly with her than I was because um, uh, she knew her before I did. But we we basically, we all met through Young Farmers. Um, right. So, in fact, we're, we're actually... Uh, how we met was the Young Farmers. Oh, was it? Really? Yeah, we, we we didn't we didn't know each other. We didn't mix in any other kind of social circle. It was purely young farmers that we met. Um, kind of got to know each other. We were both with different people at the time um, when we first met, and my relationship broke down, and then her relationship was breaking down, and we I don't know we we just sort of figured that we kind of liked each other a bit, <laughs> and then had some long conversations i think till like two three in the morning over the phone um met up our first date was she asked me over to help her take down a shed <laughs> That's she how had, it should be man they shouldn't be drunk over drinks they've got to be doing something random <laughs> yeah doing something random yeah yeah because I, I i borrowed my dad's truck so i went over there with the truck and i was i was the big man you know with the pickup truck and <laughs> and um and uh, I think I think I'm sure if my memory serves me right, when we finished, it'd been pissing down with rain. 
And, uh, and we were both like drowned rats and we were both going off on separate ways. And I think I gave her a cheeky little kiss. Um, and, uh, and yeah, kind of from there, just um, the relationship blossomed, I guess, really. Nice to story. I love hearing these stories, but they're brilliant. Love it. <laughs> it's a, yeah, fantastic. Um, um, so, so yeah, so that, 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 that kind of gets us up to where we are today. So I still at the moment, although we've got big changes coming up this year, um, at the moment, although I have been now self-employed for about a year, I still work mm-hmm. predominantly for one farm that we live on in a top in a still in a tied house, yeah. um, plus run my own flock of sheep. I do small flock sheep shearing for people in the local area. Um, a bit of shepherding work. So this winter I had 800 ewes on tack on an arable farm um, from some guys, one guy down in Kent and another guy um, over at Welshpool sent some ewes over for me to look after basically. And I was sort of running that on my own. Is that um, like contract shepherding? Is that how that works? Or is it like... Yeah, it's basically it falls to me as the responsible one for the flock so the shepherds basically sent a lorry up with their sheep and didn't come and see their sheep again until they came and picked them up with a lorry in march (laughs) so basically left left me basically from the beginning of november to the beginning of march with 800 sheep to look after the arable farmers basically said here's a map of the ground here's what i want you to graze off you go go and do it um and um i borrowed a guy's kit he supplied me with a with a quad bike and a wrapper fencing unit um and i basically just gave him some money for like the fuel that i used in the bike i think in the end i ended up just buying my own petrol and doing that he basically was like you can use it as long as you put petrol in it i was like great thank you very much um so um so yeah so yeah um but I, i would say that that is one thing that i would like to get across that if anyone looks at my story and sees what I do and thinks that um, I'm this amazing guy that's done it all on his own. 100% I have not. I have had so many people over the years that have helped me along the way. It is unreal. And I could not be where I am today without the help of um, just amazing selfless people that are so kind and generous. And I really hope to be in the position myself one day where I can return that helpfulness to someone else that needs it and i feel like i'm kind of doing that already but only in a small way i really want to try and do as much as i can to give back to younger the younger generation of of young farmers that want to get started in agriculture and you know have their own businesses and be entrepreneurial and you know do amazing things within the industry and i want to just try and do as much as i can to just be there to help support it's a it's a really progressive outlook that though. I mean, you're saying that <clears throat> you 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 look forward to being able to give back to younger folk that are trying to be entrepreneurial in the sector. For those listening, Matt isn't 55. <laughs> you can't <laughs> see him. You can't see him. Well, maybe you can work out that he's been with Floss for roughly that 10-year mark and it started about 20s, late 20s. And uh I think that's a really sort of that's the sort of attitude that I'd like to think I have, but I think in general it is quite quite a, a progressive and maybe more mature attitude and it's it's nice to see that because here <clears throat> i'm in a position where i'm in a really strong spot i know i am career-wise i'm 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 in a good spot and much like you're saying matt there's a few folks say that to me like 
you're doing this, this and this and well done and whatever. And I'm like, yeah, but there's no chance that I would be here if it wasn't, not be here, I would be in this position. I mean, if it wasn't for so many folk and it's, it's, it's important to, to note that, you know, it's important mm. to, be, to be aware that's the case. And, and, and I'm aware of some folk that are in very similar positions to us, not strictly with what we're doing, just from a, what position they're in in life. And they're probably not fully aware of the assistance they've had. And I think that's 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 dangerous. And and I was going to say before you said it, the 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 person you work for, I know you're self-employed, but sort of have the tied house on that farm, they must be very like progressive and supportive anyway. I was just about to say that before you did. So that's that's a nice position to be in and a, and a lucky one to be in for yourself. But just just to confirm, so I can sort of get my head around it all to make sure you're you're currently self-employed, working mainly for one place as well as doing a bit of extra work here and there, as well as sort of contract shepherding, whatever the term is, um, for for a bunch of years over the winter, shearing in the summertime, and then also have your own flock of about 100 years. Is that right? Uh, we're down to about 40 or 50 now. Right. Yeah. We had a bit of a cutback last year, basically, and then we had uh, pretty shit lambing with uh, more dye than I think I've ever had. Oh, in any previous lambings. So there we are, sheep for you, farming. <laughs> what can you do? But I think I think that that really that really sort of plays into to the main topic we're probably going to speak about today, mental health. Mm. And one more question before we get to that. Um well two, I guess. What what, what breed of sheep is it? Uh so we've mostly gone down the route of Clins. Oh, right. okay, good. Yeah, good. Which, which I which I really like. They suit our system so well. It's just fantastic use. They they don't scan at a huge percentage, which is great. Don't like triplets. Don't want triplets because we lamb outdoors. It's just nothing but a pain in the ass for me. So we mostly get uh, twins and twins and singles. They're pretty much all lamb themselves. Very rarely do I have to assist anything. They survive ninety nine percent of the time on grass. They get a little bit of fodder beat at lambing, but that's it. They don't get any hard feed um so they're just on grass um and yeah apart from having to shear them once a year and give them a vaccination occasionally a wormer if it's a bad year but we're not in a particularly high worm burden area and we're on fairly clean ground most of the time so i don't tend to have to worm them um i don't have to vaccinate them for anything else they're particularly they're very healthy um and so yeah they're they're low maintenance they're in electric fencing all the time because we basically have bugger all land that has any permanent fencing. I can imagine, yeah. I can imagine, yeah. yeah. So so we're, we're pretty much 95% electric fencing. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. So, and they produce fantastic lambs. You know, we've had some cracking, um, some cracking ewe lambs that I've kept back for breeding. Um, and the weathers will produce, uh, they'll all go as fat. I don't sell any of stores. They'll all go as fat. I know we have the luxury of... For sure, yeah longer grass producing periods of time than you do perhaps in in colder climates because it stays warmer here for longer not as warm as it does like really down south you know you talk with guys that farm like devon and cornwall and they're producing you know grass and silage like all year round yeah. like, oh, okay that's a different world down there you know they're in their own climate <laughs> for sure yeah yeah absolutely uh, do you know that the only thing that surprises me about everything you said there is um Clins are almost known for you don't flush them intentionally because they're too prolific. That's quite a shock. Mm. You're not seeing threes and fours. That's that's a good thing. That's the only annoying thing about clins. I mean, we all 
I think the last four years we've had um, one or two clins with a four in them, and they're always the one with threes. Um, so no, that's yeah. that's good to hear. That's good to hear, man. Uh, I like them. I like them a lot. <clears throat> I don't know if you know um, uh, Will Rubottom. Do you know Will of? Uh, yes, yes. I went to his farm actually last year. Went for a bit yeah. of a talk around. That was really interesting. He's he's a big clin man. He uh, he's a big clin man. Uh, I actually know the 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 sort of the secretary or whatever the word would be, I guess, of the Clin Sheep Society. She used to be uh, one of the podcast's sponsors, Scottish Farmer. She used to be an editor for them. She's just shifted over last month. So no, they're they're a breed yeah. I'm quite fond of. Quite fond of. Uh, t- tell us about the 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 sort of the farm that takes up most of your time uh, where you work. It's arable mainly, isn't it? Yeah. Yes, it's, it's 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 all arable. So we 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 do rent out a bit of land for potatoes and onions um, because we're in that sort of area of very fertile black land, which is good, great land for growing potatoes and onions. But we, we basically don't we don't mess about and do it ourselves because um, there's you have to spend a huge amount of money on machinery, and there isn't a huge amount of money to be made doing it unless you get bumper year. And uh, the last few years, especially potatoes, have been pretty crap. Um, so, you know, I feel for a lot of the potato growers that uh, really have just cut back on how much they're growing. Even the big boys have cut back. Um, so, yeah, so we, we're predominantly barley, wheat, all-seed rape, uh, field beans and sugar beet because we've got the beet factory not a million miles away from us. Most of ours goes to Whissington um, for British sugar. So, um, so, yeah, so we grow probably... 100 acres of sugar beet um, and then about 1,100 acres, no, no, probably 1,000 acres of cereals. Right. So, so, yeah, that's, that's enough to keep you busy, but it's not my... Um, but, but basically, which kind of ties into the mental health thing, but it's it's, <laughs> it's, it's something that I've realised as I've got older, um, which I think is why, which is why I touched on the learning experiences of the, the failed career changes um, between jobs was that one, I think I'm fairly unemployable because okay. yeah. I, I've realised now that my my thing in life is to be my own boss and have right. my own business. Like, however risky that may be and however much it may be doomed to fail, I cannot give up on that thing. That That's my purpose in life is to, to be like a sole person. Yeah. Um, not a sole person because obviously you need people around you to help you. But to, to be the one that's that's running the business, because my clashes with with jobs and stuff have always been, I've got my own ideas about how I want stuff done. And I, <laughs> I'm not particularly good at being told to do something that way when I think well, there's a better way of doing it. But I'm, I'm going to take a guess here and say there's only one person that can tell you what to do. <laughs> and I'm going to guess she's not that far away from you right now. Eh? <laughs> well, I don't know where she is, to be fair, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah it's, it's floss. We know it's floss. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, no, uh, yeah, but it, it's we have a good relationship because I'm the big ideas man, and she's very much a grounding force for sure. Of going, well, hang on a minute, how the hell are you going to pull that off? You know, you need to sit down and think about this a bit more. I'm like, ah, I've had this great idea. And oh, yeah, actually, no. <laughs> you know, so probably nine out of the ten great ideas I had are probably pretty <laughs> crap. Um, and I might have one decent idea every now and again. Floss has sent me three messages. Obviously, you were there. It was a group chat. And that is pretty much all she was saying. <laughs> that was exactly as she put it. <laughs> uh, no, good. And then... Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm humble enough to admit that I can be wrong. 
for sure. Yeah, yeah. No, it's quite clear. It's quite clear. Um, the <clears throat> the arable side does interest me. I've done. I've only done two summers with arable, so I worked in Essex, um, <clears throat> uh, which was was great fun. Really enjoyed it. But I've got two questions mainly in the arable. But the first one's what's what's involved in in sugar beet. So what's the what's the process from from drilling to harvest there? Because it's some pretty fancy kit. You mentioned kit for tatties. It's some pretty fancy kit and that side of things as well. <clears throat> yeah. So so you need a precision drill to drill sugar beet. Um, they're generally done at uh, I think it's between sixteen and twenty inch rows. Okay. Um, or is that maize? Oh, I can't remember. No, I'm sure it's. Sure, there's, 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 I think the standard's 18 inches, I think. That makes um, sense. Yeah, that makes re- sense. And re- the, re- the reason they're done at 18 inches, one is because of the leaf mass that you get from a sugar beet plant. Um, but two is it works for the beet harvesters. Yeah. So the beet harvesters have to have the rows at a certain spacing to work for the, for the shears at the front of the harvester. So they basically will shear off the top with a, with a so they have a topper at the front of the harvester shears off the top mulches the leaf and then they'll have i suppose you call it like a almost like a digging tool really which digs the beet out of the ground now when i when i do that motion that's kind of how it's it's difficult to do because there's no video but sure yeah, it, yeah. Digs the beet, it digs the beet out of the ground and then there's like spinning wheels that then pick the beet up spin the beet round and then it feeds up into the harvester on a series with augers and then drops it into the tank and then the tank will go into onto a tractor and trailer or a chaser or whatever. Um, and then that'll go, that'll get put in a clamp or in a heap in the field. Um, and it'll either go away on bulkers uh, to the beet factory, either um, via a cleaner loader, um, or if it's done in a heap in the field, they have these um, pieces of kit, which are pretty incredible. There are a lot of money, like over a million quid. Amazing. They do one job. Yeah. Um, and uh, I, I call them a mouse. Uh, even though it's M-A-U-S, they're a German um, make. Uh, sort of pronoun- you'd pronounce it mouse. They right. just, everyone just calls them a mouse. Um, and they're, they're basically a, a bigger, a self-propelled version of a cleaner loader, um, but with a big, a big sort of front that opens up. So if you imagine a long line of beet tipped out of trailers, and it comes along and it will start at one end of the thing and it will have a big boom that goes out and tips it straight into a bulk, straight into a 28 ton bulker. Yeah. Um, and, we'll, and we'll just hoover up that heap um, off straight off the field. So I suppose the idea behind that is if you had a field that was too far away from a hard standing clamp to tip in, you just tip yeah. it in the field and then you could come to take it straight away from the field. But if you, nearby a clamp and you've got a concrete pad or a hard standing pad then you know you, you'd put it in a bale clamp or whatever um oh. yeah one of those yeah jings so for those listening i've just googled it i advise you google it I, do you know what that's not what i thought i thought it was uh um now i'm sure there's more than just mouse mouse whatever that do it but in my head I no there isn't funnily enough that there isn't anyone oh. else that makes well i the only manufacturer in my head, it was, I always, I don't know how to say this word, grimy, grime, grim, I don't know, I just like... Oh, grimy, yeah. Uh, the the tie harvesters, I just assumed it was it was going to be them that you were going to mention. Um, but there you are, learned something new every day, I did not know that. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. That's um, a weird, so that's yeah, a but no. machine, it's quite, I'm quite, I'm quite shocked at my stage in life, I've never seen that. Uh, 
There you are. Yeah, well, I suppose I suppose they're only really a common sight around East Anglia and Lincolnshire. True. Yeah. Um, because that's where all the beef factories are, and um, they're they're generally owned by the haulier. So the haulier will own their own cleaner loader to come and pick up the beef. So they'll be run by the haulier. And the hauliers are done on contract with British Sugar. So British Sugar will contract. So the farmer doesn't organise the haulage at all. It'll be organised by the beet factory. And the beet right. factory, who are paying the farmer for the beet, say, we've organised a haulier to come and pick up your beet next week, you know, and, and, and vice versa. And so, yeah. And then the harvester guys, they're separate contractors. Generally, unless you have a lot of some farmers do have their own beet drills, but generally you don't find farmers that have their own harvesters and, and that it's all done by contractors. Because, I mean, you're talking to the harvesters of like, I don't know what they are, seven, eight hundred thousand for a harvester. So not many farmers are going to own one of them. You know, you need to like the guys that I know, um, the contractors around here, most of them will put. Two and a half, three thousand acres of beet a season through a harvester. Yeah, that's a lot of beet. That's <laughs> uh, a lot. You know, what, when you when you're doing when you're doing when you're doing, I don't know what they do, three meters at a time. <laughs> speed, you know, what speed's it going at? Roughly, uh, I suppose in good conditions they'll do seven or eight k. Seven or eight k, so three by. Seven. <laughs> You're not converting it to miles an hour, are you? Come on, we're on the metric system here. Wait. What? I said we're on the metric system here. That's <laughs> yeah. But you said well, you said um three three meters, yeah. Yeah, three meters. Seven eight K. Yeah, seven or eight K. Whatever, yeah. So yeah, so that's oh that's terrible. <laughs> seven Oh, I can't do. I I should be able to do that really quick, but I'm now I'm on the spot and it's taking me too long. Um, yeah, they'll, they'll, they'll do. They'll, uh, I I should think on a good day he'd do forty or fifty acres a day. Yeah, so you're looking at. Yeah, no, I'm not going to try and do the math. I've, but the harvest. But the thing is, the harvest season runs for ooh, five months. Also, you can't say we're on the metric system and say acres. <laughs> Oh no, I know it's terrible. I grew up with acres and then hectares came in and there's oh hopeless to convert. I know the conversion figure and yet I'm, I always just stick with acres. It's 2.47, isn't it? Two, basically two. Yeah, two point four seven, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um calling me out. I didn't I don't think I said anything in Imperial, did I? Maybe I don't. No, I no, I thought you were trying to convert kilometers to miles an hour, not convert the no, I was going to just work out the area. <laughs> you wouldn't believe the amount of people that do that. You say, I'm doing 7 or 8K, and they go, oh, uh, so that's uh, two point three miles an hour. You're like, why are you converting it to miles an hour? Well, I'm I'm a, I'm a K person, in fairness, uh, very much a, a metric. But I, I, I walk in kilometres, and I don't know if that's yeah. just to make me feel better. Uh, but <laughs> people, people, people do, like when you're running, you run a 5K. Yeah. No one you know, runs 2.8 miles. You don't run a seven mile, you run a 5k. <laughs> yeah, that's a it's a it's a weird well, what would it be? 3.6 miles or something like that. Anyway, yeah. yeah. It's 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 the, the only two that really seem to have staying are miles and acres. I mean, for the mm. most part, everyone's metric, but I'm I'm very much more hectares in fairness. Uh, but sometimes you find yourself saying acres because everyone's saying it. <laughs> you know, it's just yeah. really stuck there. Yeah. 
it's, um, when, it's when you it's when you hear a farmer's sons um and they'll be working out the drilling conversion and obviously most drilling conversions are done in kilos per hectare yeah. uh and uh and then and then they say that to their dad and their dad then gives them a figure in hundred weight per acre and they yeah. <laughs> have to convert just, it back to kilogram per hectare so you're looking at instead of choosing a thousand grams per ten thousand meters squared. You're looking at fifty point two five kilograms per four thousand eight hundred forty eight meters. Like how that's the right way to do it, I would never know. Um, no, I know. Yeah, it's it's a imperial. Nothing makes sense in imperial. Like who came up with that unit system? I will never know. But anyway, um, I don't know. Probably to do with imperial folk. But anyway, uh, what was the thing I was going to? Yeah, what sort of what sort of um, yield do you get let's see if we get this in acres or if we get this per hectare uh, ah, so this, will, this will be uh this will be in tons per um uh is it tons per hectare i'm sure it's tons per hectare um i mean an, an average yield you'd be looking at oh, 70 to 80 if it's over 80 it's pretty good 80 tons a hectare wow so it's a, it's a big yield this <laughs> a lot of trailers will come off one field you know yeah i think we did i think we harvested 15 what did we do 15 hectares and i think we had eight or nine hundred ton <laughs> so that's, that's about 30 ton an acre then is what for those yeah. listening wow yeah Chance. and um, the thing and the thing with it is is you plant sugar beet in april and you harvest it in you can harvest sugar beet in october and oh, it, will really? go from, it will go from tiny to to it, it's, it's I can't remember what the figure is of how much mass it puts on like every day throughout the summer throughout sort of its main growing period is like July August right. um, and it will continue to grow so a lot like I say the harvest is over five months so you'll find they'll lift um, they'll lift heavier land that will sit wet um, later on in the winter earlier on so they'll lift heavy land in september october and then they'll shift on to the lighter land farmers so there's farmers that grow on basically on sand um yeah and on black fen and if we get a you know if we get like 50 mil of rain um they can go and harvest beet on sand pretty much no matter how much rain we get you know it will never be too wet for them to harvest because the idea is like i said the machine's they have to do so many acres to justify the cost of the machine. For them, it basically means that they don't have a day throughout the season where really they can afford for the harvester not to be harvesting. So they will harvest seven days a week through the entire season. For them, like a beet, if you were working on an arable farm, like I knew a guy who told me he used to do it, he'd go and drive a combine harvester and then he'd go and drive a beet harvester because the pretty much the two finish one after the other. Yeah. So you say it's combining in September. And then by the end of September, the beet factories open, so you then harvest the beet. So you pretty much jump off a combine, doing like 100 hours a week, and then you go sell on a beet harvester and do 100 hours a week <laughs> for the next five months, and then you roll around basically till the end of January, and then the, the season finishes usually end of January, mid February, um, yeah. and then uh, and it's not that long again then till <laughs> till you're back it. on. Yeah, yeah, crazy. Uh, you mentioned right as you start started about that, uh, Matt, that. Um, you sort of let out so folk can can grow tatties. The I think potatoes are famous for being the most volatile market there is. But what's the what's the case money wise for for sugar beet? Are we in a good spot there, or is that 
Um, it, it be, it's been a bit because the trouble with the sugar beet is there's only one buyer, and that's British sugar. That's um, true. Uh, so British sugar are very much, although there is an NFU sugar board, um, which sort of lobby on the farmer's behalf to get a fair price. Um, so you've kind of got NFU sugar and then British sugar kind of battling it out sometimes to get a decent, because the NFU sugar are going, well, they need this much money and the British sugar are going, well, we can't pay them that much. You know, you kind of get a bit of that going on. Um, but um, yeah, it, 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 it's, it's enough to cover the cost of production and make it just about worthwhile to grow it. But for a number of years now, it's been barely covering the cost of production um and there's been other there's been other issues around um <clears throat> uh they banned the neonix seed dressing to yeah. be <clears throat> now the 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 justification for banning the neonix seed dressing was because of um pollinator insects but sugar beet never flowers so there's no risk really associated with sugar beet specifically which is why they then brought i think that we had a year where they banned it and then they brought in a derogation for sugar beet yeah. if there was need for neonics because basically sugar beet can be affected by um uh yeah um yellow dwarf virus yeah. Um, yeah. and it'll essentially it could decimate an entire crop it'll turn all the, the leaves yellow and you need that green leaf mass for it to grow to put on any size so you're talking of um there was i think it was two years ago we had pretty bad yellow dwarf fires where we didn't have the seed dressing um and yields pretty much across the board for most people were down 40 50 percent right you do you're talking of most crops do 70 80 tons a hectare and i think we were doing like 30 tons a hectare <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. So that was a pretty big hit to the farmer and to British sugar and, and everything. So they really, um, they're, they're up the game then um, on the neonics, the seed dressing, and then on the price as well. So I think the price went um, from £28 a tonne up to, I think they're offering 38 40 I think, for this season. Yeah. So, um, yeah, the but they're up where it needed to be, basically. Oh, so, sure. um, yeah. but there was a lot of big growers that pulled out of growing sugar beet because it really? is, it's, it's, it's uh, not the easiest crop in the world to grow. And you've got the risk that it'll damage your soils because, like I say, you'd be harvesting it in November when it's wet and you've kind of got to get it out of the ground. And the potential is that it'll only get wetter. Um, so, you've kind of got to run the risk. I mean, I, yeah, I've seen some fields pretty badly wrecked by sugar beet that take like a whole year or two to sort out you know the following crop will suffer because of the compaction you know it takes yeah it takes two years to get any sort of semi-decent crop out of that field because you've got so much damage to the soil structure from the sugar beet because you've got a 30 ton harvester running around when it's wet putting ruts everywhere you've got 20 ton beet trailer plus tractor you know, running around across the field everywhere. You know, it's, 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 yeah, some heavy machinery. You know, those harvesters, I think that when they're loaded up, they're sort of 35 foot ton. I'm sure there's some people out there listening that have called me that in the past. Um, <laughs> 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 there's a, there's, 
there's um I'm not an arable farmer and it's it's quite clear, but uh, one thing that, that did sort of shock me and, and correct me if I am wrong to be shocked, but I don't think I am. Um when we originally tried to do this, I think it was a week ago, so it was about the tenth of, of July. Uh, mm. you were you were sitting drilling rape oilseed rape. Is that a normal time for that? No. I would yeah. hazard I would hazard a guess we're the only people in the country that have drilled rape. Oh really? I wouldn't. I wouldn't put my money on that many people having got drills out that early, um, but apparently it's a trial being done by the agronomist um, on whether putting it in earlier than normal, um, normal being more like after the twentieth of July, more towards the end of July, mid August. That's kind of more the normal date for drilling, not the tenth of July. That's unheard of early. Um, is this a flea beetle? Is that the intention? Yeah, but basically the intention is to try and get it away from the flea beetle um, because I think there's research to suggest that the adult flea beetle don't um, aren't active in attacking crops until there's a certain date in August that they reckon that they then become active. So if you've had several weeks of growth because once it gets to a certain growth stage, they generally won't get into the plant to attack it. They'll only attack when it's when it's small. Um, so if you're, planting at the if you're planting at the beginning of August or even the middle of August sometimes, um, uh, and then it's peak flea beetle season and you've got small plants trying to come out. I mean, I've, I've, I've seen it so bad where you put a crop in um, within by September, October, there's nothing left of it. They've just yeah. annihilated the entire thing, um, which is why I think it's like 70% of the oilseed rape area in this country is no longer grown compared to what it used to be. If, if that it's works. It's insane for one pest. If that works, that is phenomenal. That is a massive, massive win because, I mean, there was it a is, but it is, but it relies, it relies on having a crop out for it to be able to be drilled on the tent of the I know, the that. only reason we're able to do it is because we've got winter barley. I think the only other people I know that have trialled it um, have been after after uh, whole crop rye, because that's yeah. the only thing that comes out that comes out in June. So you've got you've got a seed bed there ready to go. But yeah, other than that, if you're talking like I said, usually it's mid August because we're drilling it after winter wheat. We don't harvest winter wheat till you know the fifth, tenth of August, maybe in the twentieth of August. Sometimes depends on the weather. So yeah. There was there was a period I think I don't know who you used a uh, for for seed but there was a period from what I understand that KWS were offering a 50-50 scheme and basically that was you could pay for your seed you would pay fifty percent and then if it was able to pass that emergence growth stage I don't know exactly what one it is then you could pay the second fifty percent which shows how serious that issue is like it's mm -hmm. so you're absolutely right that yeah it's not a full solution but it's it's a pretty big jump to understanding at least. Uh, I mean, we know what the other solution is, but <laughs> it doesn't seem to be the case at the minute. So, uh, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's, that's a big jump, you think. There's there's one question I'm about to ask from about half an hour ago that I meant to ask. I was remember thinking, I'm not letting you get away with this. And that question is, what was the name of your band? <laughs> oh, God. Um... <laughs> I tell you what, it was so long ago for the life of me, I can't remember. I think that's a lie. I think you're saying that. No, 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 no. Generally, <laughs> I, I have the, the worst memory. I, 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 I wish 
I could remember what 15-year-old me and his mates came up with for the name of this band. I'm sure it was uh, brilliant, I'm sure. Uh... Oh, God. Yeah. No, you only, need to, you only need to be, like, so I've been on Facebook since it, like, very first started. I would have been yeah. about 15 or 16 when Facebook first came out. And we were like, hey, Facebook, this is great. I look back sometimes because I've never bothered to go back and delete any of the stuff I ever put on Facebook. Why would I? I always got time for that. So sometimes, you know, you get Facebook memories pop up. And Facebook memory from 2012 pops up. And I'm like, oh, God, 15-year-old me was horrendous. Why, why did I say that? Why did I put that online? Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's, there's a few I actually did go back and delete because I would <laughs> trouble like <laughs> some of them were oh, no 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 i don't think i ever said anything to get me in trouble but i just said stuff I'm like, oh, why did i say that what was yeah. i talking about jesus christ 15 year old facebook posts were embarrassing yeah. <laughs> the reason i asked that now was i was trying to come up with a clever caveat to go into mental health and i was going to say something on that note let's move into what regiment uh, what, what problems you've had uh, but uh, <laughs> you didn't have an embarrassing band name unfortunately so uh, no, i've got plenty of embarrassing stories but unfortunately no embarrassing band name that i can remember <laughs> i did have a very embarrassing haircut i, I can you know, I can maybe dig up a picture of that. I don't, I don't know whether I dare put that on the podcast. So. <laughs> it's that bad. I Basically, I had an afro. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, you don't a, get white many... man, a white man with an afro. Just in about to say you don't get many white men with afros. Uh, yeah, fantastic. I mean, I, I think that the most embarrassing thing I've done was either when during COVID I just let my hair grow. Like, yeah. you, might think, you might be thinking my beard's big. It's not. <laughs> It was like here. Okay. <laughs> it was a. Uh, uh, it wasn't even like, oh, that guy's got a cool big beard. It was, oh, does he need some assistance? Like, <laughs> uh, it wasn't. It wasn't a good look. Yeah, also, that, that guy looks homeless. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, that's, yeah. I literally got that comment over and over. Uh, the and also I did do a goatee, like a proper strict goatee, like nothing, and it yeah. did not suit me at all but uh yeah <clears throat> your, your name uh, matt on, on instagram is the honest farmer and i would say mm. throughout the episode that's that's quite clear that that is how you live that's your mantra you talk about everything you're honest about about most things but um you you are a, a yellow wellies ambassador and, and that extends to more than physical health it also talks <clears throat> also talks mental health and i once did a video with bbc social who i don't think you guys have in england in fairness it's, it's more of a sort of giving content creators a chance to work with the bbc uh, and i just made a three-minute video called the challenges facing farming and there was i can't remember the exact line but i remember I, I put it quite well it was something along the lines of you know the <clears throat> the responsibilities of many falling on the shoulders of a few the uh, the dinner table often acting as an office and no chance to escape and consistently working on your own was something like one of the paragraphs and it's true you know i work in in academia and i will be seeing probably 150 people on a weekly basis so i'm not in that but my mum and dad work at home and apart from each other that probably is the case for them they're pretty social they go out but there's some folk that they really see no one i mean they, they i think you know arable farmers have it in the sense of of literally not cabin but cab fever uh, you know um extensive extensive livestock systems out on the hill gone for ages sometimes worrying like you know where are they um <clears throat> why why do you speak about mental health so much 
why do you why do we talk about it so much and why are you such a strict ambassador for being so open about it yeah so that's an interesting one i think for me um the the, the reason that i'm so keen to talk about it is because i think it's i, I don't i don't want to think about mental health just in terms of someone having a problem I want to think about mental health in terms of something that we should just all consider as a normal conversation, just to say, how is your mental health? You know, are you in a good place? Are you not? What's going on in your head? That kind of thing. And I think that should just be such a normal thing for us to talk about. It's not even mental health, mental well-being. It's kind of the same meaning, but if you put it, if you say well-being, people go, Oh yeah, well, I, I kind of know what you mean. It's just like having a chat about what's going on inside your head. Like it's it, like that. Like um, what was it? Ollie Harrison said um, was like like the ask the how are you twice because you ask oh how are you and everyone goes yeah I'm all right. But if you go yeah but how are you? If you ask it twice, then they go oh yeah actually I've had quite a tough week actually and yeah it's not been great lately. That that kind of thing. So yeah, it's, it's it's just a simple case of just if people like me are willing to talk about it and willing to have open conversations, then for someone else, they'll go, you know, maybe be inspired by that, maybe just go, oh, well, if he can do it, you know, I've been having these thoughts, but I kept them to myself. But actually, maybe, yeah, maybe if he could do it, like I could do it as well. And if I just get one person just to open up, then that's fantastic. That's it. Job done. Fantastic. I've done my what I wanted to achieve. And it's it's been proven to me that it works from the fact that when I very first just it was almost like a well, fuck it, what's the worst that's gonna happen? I'm just gonna I'm just gonna go for it and just say what's on my mind and what's been going on. Um and I got an outreach from people going, oh, wow, that's fantastic that you've said that. I can really relate to that. And this, that, and the other. And like people were telling me their stories and, and suddenly it just opened up my world. And I thought, why the hell did I ever keep that to myself? There's all these other people out there going through, I think it was like during COVID and like loads of people going through similar things. And I was like, we're all in the same fucking boat here. I suddenly realized I'm, like, I'm not alone at all. I felt like I was alone, but I'm not because we're all we all feel like we're alone and we're all going through the same stuff. We're all in it together. Yeah. It's yeah. It, yeah. And it was incredible. I love your point there. Um about I, th- I think a lot of people think mental health means you're sad. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, when you ask, is someone healthy? You you mean they don't have a cold, or you mean they don't have a broken leg. You don't mean yeah. they must be dying. <laughs> you know, so this, yeah. this idea that the term mental health means bad mental health is, is wrong. I've said that a few times. I completely rate the way you said that. You explained it really well. Um, and that's speaking up about, like, uh, you, you said, fuck it, I'm just going to say what I think. Like, hmm. the power that gives you, man, it's insane. Like, I, funnily enough, <clears throat> two minutes before I came on this call with you, I was speaking to, and sorry, Chris, if you're listening, I don't think you will be, but if, I can't remember your surname. Chris, that works at the Farmer's Guardian, is doing a little, just a small little thing about myself, doing this walk for RSABI, uh, 
and SAYFC, which at the point of recording is happening in two days' time, <clears throat> walking 112 miles. Oh, wow. Yeah, in a 50-hour period. So in RSABI, you guys will have RABI down, down in England, just the Scottish version. The Scottish yeah, yeah. Version. Um, about mental health. And, and Chris, which I really rate as a, as a journalist, asked me some extremely deep questions. And normally you don't get them. And, and by the way, Chris, I'm glad you, you asked if you are listening because I, I loved that. And I really started to answer like proper in-depth. And I, one thing I said was <clears throat> I was one of those folk that... I think I said this earlier on just in, in, in passing that nothing was ever wrong. <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't get stressed. I mean, the amount of times I must have said that as a late teenager, I don't get stressed, whatever. And things don't bother me, you know, this sort of rubbish. And, you know, I can confidently say now that I am more in the, the, the ballpark of I don't get as stressed about things and things don't impact me as much now. And the reason for that is the fact I tell folk the problems I have. You know, yeah. I've got so many great friends and I've got I've got a, a, a mum and dad in particular and cousins in particular that I can just tell anything to. And it's not this, it's such a famous saying, bottling up, but it's not this exploding bottle. It's, it's just a consistently opened lid and there's no issues yeah. with me me talking about things and and it's and you mentioned and i'm just going to use one of the things you said there matt about like you said fuck it, i'm going to say and we'll see what reaction i get i have not once had a negative reaction not once no, um, no, me neither. yeah it, it, it always leads to another story it always leads to someone else saying something and then they're probably going home that night thinking shit man i've been sitting for three weeks boiling this over like feeling like an idiot and then suddenly yeah. i'll have to say to a mate and we're good like now i know there's issues that are more than just tell a person but a lot of it a lot of it is, is getting that out um yeah, yeah. Were, were you a bottler upper before <clears throat> i was 100 percent a bottle upper not not i think in the same way you were where, where i was always thinking i was fine yeah. i think i knew that something was wrong yeah. um but that i just didn't know how to express it so i would just bottle it up I just act like I was fine, yeah. knowing that I wasn't, which is something that I uh, I saw a good um, sort of explanation was was kind of um, having like a bathtub full of balloons mm-hmm. and having these balloons trying to bubble up all the time and just pushing them, trying to push them down constantly whilst wearing a mask. <laughs> and I thought ah, that's that's really good. I like that, you know, because that's what it felt like. I was putting on a mask whilst trying to push down these balloons constantly in a bathtub that just kept bobbing up, you know. And, and that's, I, that's a great analogy. I like that. Yeah. Um, when when I went through, and I think I've spoke about this in the podcast. When I went through counselling, um, <laughs> if you are listening, by the way, if you come up to me in the street and ask me why, I was happily telling you the full story. Like it was a gnarly year like a gnarly year um like major accusations were sent my way and i went through a period of time of thinking maybe they're true and i gen- i'd sent this all to chris by the way for the farmer's guardian like i went through a period of thinking like i was scared of myself for other people and i, I genuinely don't think now that i'm a bad guy you know i genuinely don't think any of it was true but i think being that good person that i think i am I really took them on board and I was like, shit, like, and I sat down and I, I sleep for two hours a night. And to this day, I still don't sleep much. And that was a two year period where an hour and a half was a long sleep for me. And I went through counselling 
I wish I'd had your analogy because it's much better than mine. The way I saw it was you were sort of just walking through life and, and the, the exact ex- description I gave was you're walking through pavements and these small little spears were just hitting you and you were trying to avoid them. Um, yeah. and, and that was just those were your thoughts that you were avoiding saying and they were just hitting you and they were adding and they were adding and adding and I know the way I dealt with those things like you said Matt I think I maybe put over maybe not quite how I how I was I think I was exactly the same as you I was aware it was wrong and I was too embarrassed or maybe not too embarrassed yeah sorry you didn't say that I'm saying I was too embarrassed to admit it and I was pretending that everything was fine I was probably also doing it out of a, a place of love for a lot of friends like I wanted to be there for people that were open uh, and I probably thought oh they've got more issues than me because I don't need to talk about mine um and then yeah you you get to this stage and I would say probably five or six times I just blew up and I'll, I'll offer a, a lot of um what would I say, sympathy to my partner at the time, that I probably was that person that was fine for so long and then I blew up. I wouldn't, I wouldn't take it out on anyone, but I I wasn't probably nice to be around for a day because I probably was in tears. I was, in, I was really struggling. Mm. And that just doesn't happen now because I talk about it. And I am lucky, and I think you are too, Matt, by the sounds of it as well, that family, friends and colleagues are the three things I have. Yous are maybe slightly different, but um, yeah, someone wants to listen. I think there's... There's very few people on this planet that nobody wants to listen. And I think chances are you're one of the people that there is there is people there and they will not be offended if you just want to come and say why you feel like shit and mm. it'll be fine. <clears throat> um, yeah. it's, 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 There's nothing more validating to your own feelings when you express them and other people say, oh, I've been feeling the same thing. Because then you immediately go, well, I'm not alone. And that that always is the case, isn't it? I mean, it's just there's, it might not be the same thing. It might be something different, or oh yeah, everyone's situation is different. You know, whatever feelings that you're having, you know, sort of self doubt or self criticism or any anything along those lines, um, is is something that's coming from a place of pain. And sure. I think the part of the healing process is to be able to want to express it. Yes. There has, to, there has to be a want. I think that was my thing for a long time. was like I said, I didn't know how to express it and I didn't really want to express it. And it wasn't until that point in that COVID year where I went, I, that kind of, I just snapped and went, fuck it, I'm just going to do it. And what, like, what's the worst that's going to happen? Well, I'm going to die if I express how I feel. You know, um, but but I think I think I think that's a big part of the sort of the mental health journey, and particularly men's mental health, is it's it's not instilled in us at a young age that it's something okay to talk about. Mm-hmm. It's instilled in us that when well, you're a man, you think- suppress your feelings and you get on with it. And that's yeah. how I was, that's how I was taught from my dad was you, you don't talk about that you. You just get on. You're a man. Yeah. Get up and get on with it. Do it. And I, and I did that for years. And then we just went, fuck, I'm a total mess here. How am I doing? I need to deal with this. And I'm still dealing with it. They're talking of five years now. I've been dealing with it and I'm still dealing with it. And I'm still learning and I'm still healing and I'm still growing. And But I'm in a much healthier place than I was. 
My God. Far that, that that scar is slowly over time becoming a scar. It's not you just consistently ripping the scab off. That's no. That's the way I was, and, and yeah, I, we don't need to know what your thing is, Matt. That's not what we're you're talking about. It's, it's more the the principle, but the what you, you said, like um, you got to that stage, you were like, I've just got it. What what made you get to that stage? Was did something happen, or did you just get this stage of sort of isolation in COVID, where you're like, I want to tell someone something. I hope you've kicked your feet up and got comfy and enjoying another fantastic episode of the R2 cast with another really interesting guest. I would just like to quickly take another second to plug the sponsors of the show today, The Scottish Farmer, and I would strongly advise you to go out and pick one up this week and see even more of the fantastic people that are in our industry. Mm. Yeah, I think, I think, yeah, I think it was the combination of the isolation of COVID and years of repressing my feelings and bottling up and um i think it's quite a cliche thing to say but it felt like just the top needed to come off the bottle and it all just needed to come out um which i think is the case for a lot of people when they get to that point where they want to express how they feel it does feel like just my god the weight's lifted off my shoulders um and and yeah it did very much feel like that but then from that point to then where I'm at now has been a period of regression back to old habits and learning how to form new habits and new ways of managing my mental health and realising that it is okay to continue on that journey of expression, but to learn when, you know, what to share, what not to share. Sometimes I think, you know, your innermost thoughts sometimes that very personal can often not be the thing to put out to the whole world of social media, for instance. Um, although I'm quite open in that sense, which I think is why, partly why I changed my Instagram handle to the honest farmer, because I was just like, I'm just going to say it. Yeah. Just say it how it is. That's as simple as that. That's, that's how I want to live my life, is just to be as honest as I possibly can. And sometimes people like Floss will say to me, she's like, should you have really put that out there? I'm like, if people don't like it, people don't like it. I don't really care. It's me. I'm just being genuine. That's that's it. You make I couldn't a- care less if people don't like it. For sure, yeah. And I think you make a really good point there, though, and I don't actually mean about the being honest part. I would say I'm the same as you in that the only limiting factor as to what I put online is is this in line with my job? My, I've got to be conscious of that, but because of the job I'm in. But I'm completely honest in all that side of things. But I think you made a very good point there in saying that someone might be listening to this. That might not be their way of explaining or putting it out there. There's other ways that folk want to be honest to themselves. That might be to one friend. It doesn't have to be to the world. Yes, you and I, that's one way we find easy. And it's it's actually probably the way I find easiest. <laughs> um because in the nicest possible way, everyone that follows me, everything that listens to my podcasts, of which is quite a lot of people now, they don't mean as much to me as the people I would be sharing, you know. <clears throat> yes. Whereas other people see that in different ways. They see it as a weakness to 
share it out to loads of folk. I don't. I actually yeah. find it much easier. Uh, and then I'm happy to speak to those close to me. So I think you made a good point. And if you are listening and you are one of those people that's sitting thinking, fuck, I just want to say something. I don't know who to. Matt and Wallace are sitting there thinking they're going to post it on Facebook or Instagram or something. I couldn't do that. That doesn't have to be the way it is. It's just one. No, way. no, no, no. But they do. But they do. But they do often say that the easiest thing in the world to do is to express those feelings to someone that's unknown. A hundred percent. It's it's far more difficult to sit face to face with someone that you love and go, I'm in a really shit place right now. Whereas if you said that to someone you did, because there's no there's no consequence to that. You can say yeah, everything to them and and go, okay, I feel great now. I never have to see that person again. That's fine. It's almost like you never really said it, but you did say it because there was someone there listening to you. So I think in a way, social media is almost like a sounding board of going, well, I'll put this out to loads of people and see what reaction I get back. And like you, like you said, it was 99% of the time it's positive. Yeah. Um, and so you kind of, yeah, you get a certain validation for you, you, your feelings to a degree. Um, without because i think i think there's always that worry of you don't always want to express to your loved ones you know those closest to you because they worry about you and you don't want people to worry about you that's the yeah. last thing that you want you'll hurt them either so rather, yeah so you'd rather just not tell them just act like you're fine um so yeah that that, that for me has certainly been something that i've had to which I think goes back to the whole dad brought you up to never share how you feel and you're a man, you just have to get on with it in kind of in the relationships that you have, you know, if, if you're like me and I'm not, I wouldn't class myself as an alpha male, a leader of a group, but I think in certain situations in my life, people have looked up to me as a strong person because well, for one thing, I'm quite tall, so I always st- I stand out in a group of people as the tallest one. And for some, what for whatever reason, whether it's just I came across like I had great mental resolve or what, I don't know. But people have always treated me like I was the strong one of the group, and I should be the leader, even though I never felt like I wanted to be a leader because I was was not that alpha male type of just I will lead the group, I will be the one to lead. Um, but again wearing the mask of okay i'll be the leader yeah fine and um yeah so my relationships have been defined by people looking to me as being the strong one the capable one um and yeah realizing that i wasn't and going well well actually not realizing that i wasn't capable going okay well i am capable but i'm also not dealing with being capable very well because I've got all this nasty stuff going on and I kind of need to deal with that to be able to continue being strong and capable. Like I was just wearing a mask covering over the fact that really I wasn't dealing with this very well at all. (laughs) I think it's a good way of putting that. I like that. And and do you know, it's quite interesting. What what height are you out of interest? Uh, Six six foot four. Yeah, it's funny. Like I mean... I don't know if you know NJB Hoof Care uh, on Instagram. Uh, Neil Bassett, he's a hoof trimmer. Uh, but I, I had Neil on the podcast. I think he was episode 99. <clears throat> and um, I'd mentioned to you off camera, actually, it's time I was talking about that I was down in Wales 
three days ago and he texted me he was like oh i see you're in the village my kids are in like i'll be over in five minutes do you want to say hello and uh, <laughs> we get out the back of I'm like, fuck me. <laughs> six, six. I felt tiny. Um, <laughs> it's not often I feel small. Like, I mean, I'm, I'm shorter than six foot, but, I, you know, I've, I've been 22 stone in my life. I'm 18 stone now. I'm not a small guy, you know. Uh, mm. But, jinx, I was like, Christ. Uh, <clears throat> it's quite funny when you meet folk online, can't tell what height they are, but here. Here, man, I appreciate the honesty. I really do. It's, um, it's really... It's really and and ironically, speaking of Neil, um, that we got a few reviews. Uh, there was something quite nice, but watching two big. The, the, my favorite review was, "It's nice watching two bearded motherfuckers be real." <laughs> was the <exact laughs> one. Uh, after after Neil and I. Neil's not got quite quite as big a beard as me, but um, quite quite a substantial beard, and 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 I feel like that's sort of what today's been as well. I try not to swear on the pod, but I think sometimes like what we've been speaking about, it makes it real and it shows sort of what's true. And I think it, <clears throat> if you see folk, um, I think your description about you were sort of almost, uh, what would you say? You sort of fell into the the leader, if you will. I, I knew what you meant by saying you weren't by by nature, but I think in fairness, in some ways, socially by nature, I probably am that alpha and, and it's not, I'm not alpha in a negative way, um, but I just, I, that's where I thrive. I enjoy that sort of situation. And and I think sort of people listening, seeing two people in that position talk this way <clears throat> is only a positive. Um, it's it's nice to sort of be able to open up with folk. And, and it's amazing throughout this medium of people that, you know, I met you last week for about seven minutes. And apart from that, we've sent about 15 messages to each other, but to sit down mm. for an hour and just really open up and show that there's nothing negative about this. I don't feel heavy because having had that chat if anything i feel lighter just to to have that chat and i've had this chat a million times in front of 0.3 million folk now in this podcast in front of students and in front of whatever but um it doesn't it doesn't at all negatively affect you and it's 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 nice to see and uh, i really do appreciate your your sort of wholeness and your honesty so so thank you for that um well i'd say it's, it's 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 part of a healing journey yeah. And I don't want to sound too wishy-washy about that because you know I'm a tough man. Um, but it's one hundred. It's one hundred percent healing trauma. One hundred percent that you have to heal that trauma. And part of your healing journey, part of my healing journey, is just being able to open up with, as you said, almost complete strangers, yeah. and have a very frank, deep conversation. And be absolutely fine with that, and feel like it's a good thing. That's that's a great part of a healing journey. One hundred percent. I can't deny that it's been great for me because five years ago I wouldn't have want I wouldn't have been brave enough to do that. Not at all. Wouldn't have been able to have that that conversation and just delve into it in the way that I do now. You said so, two. You said two important words there. You probably didn't notice, but uh, I think you said brave talking about this sort of thing is seen by so many <laughs> as weak. It's the fucking opposite, man. It is the exact... Oh, yeah, it takes courage. It takes a huge amount of courage. Yeah. It takes more courage than you think you have to be able to do it. Yeah. You know, you might think, oh, I have a bit of courage. No, you don't know courage until you actually get into your deepest, darkest thoughts and deepest feelings and share that with someone and go, yeah, Actually, now I feel like a wakesman. That, my God, that takes some courage. It's incredibly brave. 
it is not weak at all. And I, ne- I, ne- I never, I never felt like it was weak. I just never felt like I, I was able. I never, I never knew how to. I think that's the big. Is this the how? It was never really knowing. Like, well, how do I start that conversation? Who do I? Talk? Well, how how do I do that? Um, <coughs> whereas now I just kind of just do it and yeah. just go. I'm not going to worry about the consequences. I'm just going to do it. Yeah. It'll, it'll go one one of two ways, really. And, and like I say, nine times out of ten, it always goes positively. So, <laughs> in fact, I don't think I've ever had a conversation with someone about mental health and it's gone negative. Yeah. I don't think I ever have. Yeah. And the the other word that. <clears throat> that I pointed out there was was journey. I think that's important. <clears throat> I think it's important because <clears throat> a lot of people hear, uh, will hear people talking like this. I'm really sorry, I started coughing. <clears throat> and then they'll expect this this sort of talk or this whatever change you make to be the solution. <laughs> it's not like yeah. a problem, bang, no problem. It's a, it's, it's a journey, so that's good good to know. But I am also <clears throat> conscious, uh, Matt, that we've been speaking for an hour and a half almost. Oh, and, yeah. Yeah, it flies by, man. It flies by. Oh, uh, it does. There's, there's two questions I ask everyone on the podcast before we finish, and the first one is, where do you see yourself in five years? And uh, the second one is, if you had any tips for folk coming into farming, what would they be? <clears throat> so I think uh, I'll, I'll answer the second one first. Okay. So because that's my favourite of the two, because I, uh, I'm not a big fan of talking about. I try not to talk about myself too much. Okay. Um, I, I, like I said to you earlier on, I'd much rather be supportive of people that want to get into the industry and et cetera, et cetera, and give them as much help as I can. So um, my tips and advice, as I said to you about people that have helped me, um, is, yeah, don't be afraid to ask a silly question, ask for help. You know, if you don't know something, nine times out of 10, people will have the time to explain to you how something works, how this is done. You know, no question is a stupid question. It's, like, it's a great analogy I heard was um, uh, was that a baby doesn't come out of the womb and know how to, you know, tile a roof or change an engine oil. <laughs> and I was like, that's a great analogy. It's like, we all have to start from the bottom and learn what we know, you know, learn everything. And I'm still learning. There's still so much I don't know and so much that I'm learning. And I feel like my brain is a sponge of wanting to absorb as much information as I can. And there's so many parts of farming and agriculture that I still learn absolutely nothing about. Well, um, just, just quickly to mention two things, actually. I'm 26 and I can't do those two things, never mind having just been born. And I think your wife's at the door. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Probably. Are you wondering? We're, we're, we're wrapping up. Where's my vape in there? Uh, is your vape in there? Uh, which one? <laughs> Blue one? Yeah. Yeah. Oh. There you go. Thank you. Yellow sprout. Go on, out. Dogs, out. Right. Uh, yeah, no, very true. Very true. Um, <clears throat> yeah. And then, um, yeah, Good I suppose we're going to see myself in five years. Um, now that, I, I always used to um, sort of have goals in mind and, want to have achieved this and achieved that. And I think it's, it's, it's good to have in your head a vision of a direction that you're going in. Um, but in terms, of, in terms of goals now, my, my goals have very much just become, it's like the whole sort of like new year, new me, new year's resolution type thing. Um, it's just a load of crap because you're never going to stick to this new thing that you want to try. What you want to try and do 
is be consistent and consistently stay on that path of betterment. So that for me is now my five, 10 year goal is I have a vision in mind of where I want to get to in my career, financially, my relationships, and I'm on a journey of self-development, betterment, and I want to just continue on that path of betterment and see where it leads me. Because I can't say for definite what the hell I'm going to be doing in five years' time. I might have a vision of where I want to go to, but and that would be another tip for young people wanting to get into the industry, is don't be afraid to change direction as you go along. You know, if you're doing something or if you're unsure of what to do, go and do something. And then if you realize, oh, that thing's not really for me, change. Go and do something else. You're young. It's fine. You're in your 20s, you know, you're 18 or whatever. You know, if you don't, because a lot of people say that, they're like, oh, I don't know what to do with my life or I don't know what to do with my career. It's like, just go and do something, try something, you know, and if it doesn't work out, just go and try something else. There's nothing wrong with that at all about changing direction. I completely agree. Yeah. Which is which is like I say, which is why I don't have firm set goals anymore. I, I used to do that, and I've realized that that is the wrong way to view life. Life is a journey, and it's it, we should view it as having a long-term vision of how we want our life to look and doing our best every day to say to stay consistently working on that path. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like that. I like that a lot. And I think I've asked that question to every single person, <laughs> including the the written stories I did. So that's that 148 people and yeah. groups in there as well. And I like that not objective one. I like that a lot. Um it's just I think I'm the same. I think I was always a an objective answer, <clears throat> you know. Um oh, I want to have this qualification or I want to have this mm. amount of money or I want to whatever. It's so true, man. Just a positive net change is what I'm after. Like every day, feeling like something's going better. You get your little wins, you get your big wins, you get your little losses, and you get your big losses. But um, yeah, I like that. I like that a lot. I actually, I, I really like that. So no, a nice, a nice note to end on. Um, and uh, I do appreciate your time, and I hope you've had a good time on the podcast. Oh, it's been fantastic. I feel like <laughs> I'm yeah, I love it. Yeah, most folks say it's just like coming on, having a beer and having a chat. So <laughs> well, I would have a beer, but I don't really drink. So <laughs> I'm the same, man. I'm the same. I feel like I gave off an impression at the start of the episode that I've been down in Wales and just get steaming the whole time. I was actually sober the whole time. Um, but yeah, no. Very... A young farmer's party is hard to believe. I was sober. Yeah, I yeah. was. Um, I did. I did take the first drink in a boat race because no one else was going to do it. So apart from that one pint of cider, which I never drink because I hate cider, uh, I didn't have a drink the whole time. Um, I did, however, drive for 15 hours and sleep for four over the three days, but that's nothing to do with the drinking. Uh, yeah, so, no, it was a great time. I appreciate your time hugely. Thank you so much. Um, for those of you listening, <clears throat> really good episode there. A lot of good episodes coming up, as I said. Uh, it's been a few days since I sort of recorded but should be recording three or I think it's four I'm recording in the next two days uh, so try and get a bit ahead because I am doing this walk um, well hopefully going to manage this walk uh, I am then going to Africa for two weeks uh, yeah a lot of things happening in the next month so I want to try and get recorded and up and ready to go so I can sort of just leave the podcast doing its thing on its own and uh, not have to worry too much about it um, but I hope you're enjoying any guests <coughs> any 
oh, for guests, that'd be a funny one. Guest requests, anything you want to <laughs> anyone you want to see, anyone you to story you want to hear. Literally anyone now. It used to be food and farming folks. Now it's anyone. I said we had someone deployed in Iraq. We're having a lot of people in that all in series as well. And if you are listening and you are a business that wants to advertise your product, we do have the opportunity for a sponsorship placement on uh, the all-in series. So please get in touch if that's of interest as well. Thank you all very much for listening. Matt, thank you for your time. No worries. And I, I, w- I would just like to end by saying watch this space. We are moving to Wales in four months. So watch this space. Exciting things to come. Excellent, excellent. So follow. It's the honest farmer underscore, isn't it? That's the... It is, yeah, because I couldn't have I couldn't have the honest farmer. I had to have an underscore in there, okay. <laughs> just okay. so Instagram would let me have the name. Yeah, so <laughs> no, uh, go follow that, and you'll you'll be able to follow that journey to Wales. So uh, yeah, thank you all for listening, and we shall see you next time. I hope you've enjoyed another excellent episode of the R Two Cast. I just want to take this moment to quickly thank our primary sponsors once more, A Plan Rural. If you follow A Plan on social media, you'll see the work they're doing to really promote British farming and back our industry. It's been a pleasure working alongside A-Plan Rural so far and long may it continue. The values of A-Plan Rural runs perfectly in line with the whole mantra of Rural to Kitchen and I'm glad to have them on board. Check them out on Instagram at A-Plan Rural and on Facebook at A-Plan Rural Insurance. See you for the next podcast.